Just last week, we dropped an episode, The Lady of the Dunes, on Crossing the Line with M. William Phelps, and wouldn't you know it? Crazy, crazy timing, Phelps. Crazy timing. After, what, almost 50 years, they identify the Lady of the Dunes. And this information came out less than a week after we aired our episode. So we're back with a little tiny bonus episode here to give you the um, update if you just listened to the Lady of the Dunes episode. Yeah. So Phelps, you just sent me this FBI brief about the Lady of the Dunes. And it was really interesting because they sent out basically some information saying we're about to release the identity. And then within hours, they released the identity of the Lady of the Dunes. The press release says, dubbed the Lady of the Dunes, she's been identified as Ruth Marie Terry of Tennessee. So they were able to use investigative genealogy to discover her lineage. And, you know, it goes on to say that on July 26, 1974, her body was found on Cape Cod. The cause of death was a blow to the head and her body was quite mutilated as well. She was found on the beach by a young girl. In addition to Tennessee, the brief goes on. Investigators believe Terry had ties to California, Massachusetts, and Michigan, which may explain why no one filed a missing persons report for her when she disappeared or was murdered. Well, yeah. I mean, the missing person report could have been filed in Tennessee and Michigan, right? Right. That's a good point. Yeah, not in Massachusetts. The only thing about this announcement is they never said yes or no if she was the lady in the Jaws movie, the extra. So I'm assuming she's not, or they would have said that. Well, the thing is, I I don't know that we can count that out because it can't be proven because they don't have those lists of who the extras were anymore. Remember, and the casting director has since died. So I don't know. I think there might still be room for that, Phelps. I know you're a doubter. Well, no. And looking at her (laughs) picture... You know, and again, with the composites, I mean, they showed the composite, they show her picture. The composite really doesn't look anything like her, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's not super, super similar. But you're actually right. Like, we can take these pictures, because they released several pictures of her, go back and look at Jaws and see if it actually is her. And I did that. And you know what? There are similarities. So I don't know. I mean, uh, what's, what's great about this is... The family has answers. So right. they know now where their person is and they can bury that right. person where they want to. That's the most important thing yeah. out of this. That's the thing is it might have been a fourth cousin once removed, but investigators who are invested in this, they can take the time, build multiple family trees, which can take months and months and huge amounts of person power in order to narrow it down to one specific person. And so I wonder, as now they found this person, if they'll be able to link her to who she was hanging out with at the time. Or even potentially if there, you know, maybe there's some remnant DNA that they could find from the killer. And one thing this press release says is for nearly five decades, investigators have worked tirelessly to identify this victim through various means, including neighborhood canvases, thousands of missing person cases, clay model facial reconstruction, and age regression drawings. So- Right. I mean, they were they have been working their ass off on this case yeah. for many for decades. Yeah. And 
you know, of course, if they're going to do all of that, they have to do the forensic genealogy. And that's the thing in the future that is going to come through for lots and lots more cases. Exactly. That's the thing is this is not just about Lady of the Dunes. This is a harbinger of what we're going to be seeing over and over and over again. That's what Golden State Killer gave us was not only do we find this person that terrorized an entire state for a couple of decades but and then disappeared, but what we also have is a future vision of lots and lots of cases. Like there are going to be lots of well-known cases that like all of a sudden are going to get solved. And I might say that I've used Harbinger in a number of my books, so I appreciate you using the word Harbinger. <laughs> um, what can I say? I'm a fan. Nobody uses that word, so I, I really appreciate you using that on Crossing the Line. <laughs> <laughs> One of these methods is investigative genealogy and combines the use of DNA analysis with traditional genealogy research and historical records to generate investigative leads for unsolved violent crimes. So- Back to what you said earlier, I, I want to keep saying this on the show because it's important to know that forensic genealogy, it takes a tremendous amount of paper pushing, you know? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of investigative work. By that, I mean sitting down, going through records, going through family trees, and finding that one connection in these cases. It's not like a magic hat, you know? It's not you, right. you, you reach in and, and pull out a match. It no. doesn't work that way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, very rarely are they working with, oh, somebody submitted their DNA to GEDmatch after they did an Ancestry or a 23andMe and like, oh, it's their brother or it's their first cousin. Like, it's very rarely how it happens, even though that's how it happens on TV. It's like the fourth cousin once removed and they have to build so many family trees. But I think what's cool is a lot of police departments, because it takes months and it, it's basically a, like a puzzle that has to be solved yeah. and you have to cross-reference those family trees with where were all of these people living at the time? Could they potentially be matches? Do they fit the description? So one thing that a lot of these police departments are starting to do is get retirees, people who love true crime, people who have time to volunteer, and setting them up as volunteer deputies to help with some of this just absolute legwork. It's dogged, but there are people who love following these clues and solving these crimes. I've said it on this show before. To think of it as an upside-down triangle. You're starting right. with, you know, a dozens and dozens and dozens of families, and you're trying to get down to a point. Yeah. But with that, you know, I just wanted to update everyone. And if the case is solved, I mean, because once you identify a homicide victim, it is then a lot easier to begin to investigate that murder and find her killer because now you know who she knew. So you bet your ass they are right now, they are digging in hard to the victimology in this case and they are questioning people that this woman knows. With that, let's take a quick break. Come right back. So as you can tell, our audio quality has changed just a little bit. This case is moving so quickly after 50 years of no movement that we have an update to our update before we could even get our update out. <laughs> Phelps is on the road, so he's joining us via Zoom. Hello. Hi, Phelps. What's up? 
Not too much. Just, you know what? Every single day this week, it seems like we've had updates on this Lady of the Dunes case. I can't keep up with it. I mean, and now, you know, we've talked about victimology where, you know, once you have a victim's identification, you go after the first people around that person. And here we're at Raul Guy Rockwell, Guy Maldalvin Rockwell. Um, Lots of names. Yeah. And even even Ruth Marie Terry, I guess, went by several names as well. Hmm. But I mean, this latest update today is interesting to me because I knew they would be looking at him. Right. We, we all knew that. Right. Right. At the husband. But what's interesting is that he is suspected in the murder of his second wife and his stepdaughter. Oh, my gosh. So tell us a little bit more about what happened there. Well, he was in Seattle, Washington in 1960, and he fled Seattle, but then was arrested by the FBI in Brooklyn, New York in December of 1960 and charged with unlawful flight to avoid giving testimony relating to, get this, mutilation of human remains. So the FBI is saying that he could be responsible for mutilating human remains, which we know Lady of the Dunes later right. on in 1974, her hands are cut off, right? Or almost decapitated. Right. So the suspect pool in this case got really, really small overnight. Yeah. And, you know, even as we were talking with our other producers about this, you know, she said, well, I wonder why they didn't look at the husband first thing, you know, you immediately said, because we didn't have her identity. So just like you said with the victimology, it's like, once we have the identity, we can go look at the people around her, follow that paper trail. There's no paper trail until you know who she is. So, you know, in this article in the Cape Cod Times, which has done some really good reporting on this, says, Moldavin also faced larceny charges for swindling his third wife's family out of 10,000 bucks around the time his second wife went missing. Right. So do we think that, was the Lady of the Dunes a fourth or fifth wife? Was this a later on wife? Yeah, yeah. So Lady of the Dunes comes in, I think, I think they were married for four months or something like that, maybe, or or, or a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And he must meet her later on, right? I mean, because here's this trail of bodies allegedly, I should say, behind the guy. Mm-hmm. And then he meets um, Ruth Marie Terry and she winds up mutilated and dead. Right. And they're talking about up to like five other people could be victims of his. So, I mean, Lady of the Dunes all of a sudden is connected to a potential serial killer. Right. Which is crazy. Right. This guy could be a potential serial killer. And what Michael O'Keefe, the DA in Massachusetts, is saying right now is they're trying to connect him and her in Massachusetts during that time. That's what they're working on now. So, you know, I expect there to be big updates for this case coming in weekly, probably until they announce that they've solved it. I mean, I, I, I can't see anybody else responsible mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. And presumably he's dead, correct? Is he still yes. alive? He's not rattling around somewhere? No, he's dead. Okay. And so one of the other pieces of evidence that came out of this, this 
to me feels like the most damning information. We don't have the newspaper that this came from, but there's an old newspaper article that The Trail Went Cold posted just earlier on today, which is Friday. It says, Eureka, California, September 26th. Doesn't state the year because we don't have that much of the page. But it says, the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office yesterday said Raul Guy Rockwell is wanted for questioning in the 1950 slaying of a bread truck driver and the disappearance of a waitress. Deputy Sheriff Harvey Larson said Rockwell's name came into the case in recent weeks after human remains were found in a septic tank in his Seattle home. And then underneath that, it says, Seattle women vanish. Rockwell has been missing from Seattle since August. His second wife, Mrs. Manzanita Rockwell, 39, and her daughter, Dolores Mears, which Phelps, you were talking about earlier, Dolores Mears was 18, disappeared in April. The remains found in the septic tank have been identified as those of a young woman, presumably the daughter. It just doesn't get more horrifying than that. I, I mean, and these are the bodies that we know about. So how many right. other bodies is this guy responsible for? I can't believe a guy Completely. like that would travel across country from Seattle to Massachusetts and not kill anybody else, really. Right. Exactly. If he had to. Exactly. Because, you know, we're seeing this pattern of he's marrying someone and killing them, but also a bread truck driver. Right. The article goes on to say Rockwell lived in Fortuna in Humboldt County from late 1947 until sometime in 1950. But the body of Henry Baird, 22, in Eureka, California, was found June 18th, 1950, near Table Bluff, a naval radio station in the Fortuna area said. He had been shot in the back of the head, which is sort of different than this MO. But then listen to this. This gave me chills. The body was naked except for shoes and socks. The rest of the clothes were piled neatly nearby. Yeah. A yeah. 32 caliber pistol with the caliber with which Baird was shot was missing from Baird's car. So, I mean, this is by the book what we see in the Lady of the Dunes case. And again, I believe we said it in the episode Lady of the Dunes. You know, if mm -hmm. you're folding clothes and putting them there, the victim, that person knows the victim because they have some sort of connection that's saying something. Yeah. I also want to mention that she was born in Tennessee in 1936, and she was a daughter, a sister, an aunt, wife. So right. there's a lot of people out there that were waiting on the identity of this person. And, yeah. you know, it's it's a case that is just evolving. Wow. Right. From Tuesday until Friday, I mean, there's been a series of different revelations that have come out. And most of them now are focused on Raul Rockwell, Moldavan, or whatever his name is. Um, exactly. I, I have a feeling this guy was into all sorts of things. Right, right. And and it's funny. Some of the thought process was early on that it was a mob hit. Mm -hmm. And then there was, which we still don't know if it was the Jaws connection or not, which right. I don't, I don't think it was. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think there's that connection mm -hmm. there, but boy, this guy surely, surely seems like he could have been involved in organized crime in some respects. Yeah. And the other thing too, is I think, you know, listeners, because now we have actual pictures of her because we know her name and people who know her have released pictures of her versus just the composite that looked sort of like her that we had before. 
we can actually take real pictures of her and listeners can go watch Jaws and see if they think that it's her. That's right. That's right. So, you know, it's just an interesting, fascinating case from our end as true crime people. And I'm just so happy that this case is finally going to be solved because they will solve it. They definitely will solve it. And these families are going to get some answers. Now we know not just Ruth Marie Terry's family, but a lot of families are going to get some answers. But I'll say this. We're going to end the updates here. We're going to release this episode. Update, update episode, we'll call it. And um, (laughs) down the line, when everything gets buttoned up, we'll pop in with another update of the entire case. Sounds great. Well, thanks, Phelps, for joining us from the road. We appreciate it. Yeah, I'm out here, you know, working true crime hard. (laughs) Well, that's it for this uh, double updated episode of The Lady of the Dunes. So be safe, be aware, watch out for sharks. Sources for today's episode come from The Skeleton Crew, How Amateur Sleuths Are Solving America's Coldest Cases by Deborah Halber, Simon & Schuster, 2014. The Tragic Unsolved Case of the Lady of the Dunes, All That's Interesting, Natasha Ishak. The True Story Behind Wild Theory That Jaws Could Identify Woman Found Almost Beheaded Near the Beach, Christine Pelasek, People Magazine. Crossing the Line is a production of iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Catherine Law. Special thanks to producer Rose Bacci and EP, Christina Everett. Audio engineering, original music, and sound design by Matt Russell. Additional thanks to Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 444, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.